Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Come join the conversation on the AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line at 855-616-1620. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. So very glad to have you with us. Our first day of broadcasting from our new facilities, downtown Milwaukee. All right. The more stuff changes, the more it stays the same. This is going to make all the difference. I was looking at a story over the weekend. Seven homicides reported in Milwaukee between Friday and Sunday. Seven homicides. Um, So, again, we are on a pace to set an all-time record for homicides in the city of Milwaukee, and that's after setting an all-time record last year. The amount of violence is just absolutely staggering. The victims over the weekend range in ages from as young as 12 to as old as 31. So uh, 170 homicides so far this year compared to 137 for the same period in 2021. And again, 2021 was an all-time record when we pushed 200 homicides in the city of Milwaukee. There's no question that we're going to unfortunately be over uh, that number, you know, moving forward. But but we've, we've got a handle on this. Here's the story. The House of Correction, you know, down in Franklin, where we send people who are not going to go to the state prison. So if you've been convicted of something and your sentence typically is like less than a year, you, you end up going to what has been always called the House of Correction. But apparently in our politically correct world, well, we've decided now that that is an inappropriate term. So here is the story. The House of Correction will no longer be called the House of Correction. Milwaukee County Executive David Crowley's 2023 budget request will include language that renames the Milwaukee County House of Correction into, wait for it, the Community Reintegration Center. Community Reintegration Center. The idea is we don't want people who get sent to the House of Corrections because they have committed crimes and are required to be incarcerated, we don't want them to have to do that. We want them to focus on the true mission of what the House of Correction is. Um, So the idea is, this is what the spokesperson for the county executive says, our role is to ensure that once individuals are sent to the House of Correction, we make sure that they return to the community in a better place than when they came. So this is the idea. We, we don't want to worry about, like, punishing them for their crimes. We just want to concentrate on reintegrating them into society so when they come back out, hopefully they won't do the same thing that they did. Um, it's just they're, they're talking about, well, you know, we're, we're going to try to also get some peer specialists. These are people who've had some experience within the criminal justice system, so they're going to be able to connect Bottom line of this is, look, I, I have no, nothing wrong with trying to rehabilitate people, but, but here's, here's the truth. You don't want prisons, whether they are jails or state facilities or whatever, you, you don't want these to be the equivalent of swanky hotels. I appreciate that we send people to jail for pun, not as punishment, not for punishment, but nevertheless— you know, the, the idea is you want this to be a somewhat unpleasant experience, don't you? You don't want people to be coming back. Well, here's the deal. I got sent out to this system, and now I'm, it's at the Community Reintegration Center. No, what it is, it's a jail. 
And the people that go to that jail go there because they have committed crimes. In many cases, it's because they have committed multiple crimes and other efforts to try to reintegrate them into society have completely and totally failed. So, I mean, again, you can call it whatever you want, but the truth is we need to be sending more people there. We need to make it a somewhat unpleasant experience so they don't want to go back there. But yet we're moving in this different direction. We don't want to stigmatize people by saying they're at the House of Corrections because they've engaged in behavior that needs to be corrected. Rather, it's we're going to send them off so they can be reintegrated into society. Well, I'm all in favor of reintegrating them into society, but let's face it, a jail is a jail is a jail, or at least it should be. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, there is a new study out that has some dramatic findings about the Milwaukee Police Department and might explain one of the reasons why crime is so very out of control. Stick around. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So, very glad to have you with us. The Badger Institute, which is, I would describe as a conservative-leaning think tank, are out with a series of studies today. One of them, and we'll, we'll discuss all of them over the course of the next couple days, but you know, one of them talks about increasing crime trends in, in Wisconsin. And it's really a tale of two states. You, you've got southeastern Wisconsin in general, Milwaukee in particular, where crime is just out of control, and you have the rest of the state where it is not as much of an issue. Also, the, they've got a study out that looks at the impact of, uh, the, the impact of uh, different court proceedings and a shortage of prosecutors and public defenders and how that contributes to the, the various crime problems that we have. And we're going to talk about that as well. But the study that they have that really caught my attention, it's called The Thinning Blue Line, Milwaukee Police Department's Attrition Crisis. Now, a week or so ago, the, the, the mayor came out and, of course, said, well, in this next budget, we're, we're going to have to, you know, reduce the number of police by like 17 or 20. And as I, I pointed out at the time, this is the oldest stunt in the world when it comes to politicians. And we saw school boards that used to do this. If there was a school referendum that was coming up, when school boards would, would come out and they understood. They said, OK, here's what's going to happen. If this school referendum doesn't pass, we're going to we're going to have to cut all after school athletic a- activities. And, of course, parents just got extremely upset with that. They didn't come out and say, we're going to get rid of five mid-level bureaucrats who are all making $125,000 a year because nobody would care about that. But it's let's let's go to the drama. And that's exactly what the mayor did. He said, OK, here's what we're going to have to do. We're going to cut you know police positions unless we can figure out how to get more money from the state and all that sort of stuff. But he didn't come out and say, hey, we're going to get rid of five mid-level managers at the Department of Public Works or we're going to do we're going to do away with like four HR specialists that that wasn't the headline it was we got to get rid of we got to close libraries we got to get rid of a fire truck and we got to get rid of police officers that of course it's the the oldest game in the book and politicians doesn't matter whether it's the new boss or the old boss doesn't matter whether it's Cavalier Johnson or Tom Barrett that that's the game that they play but the problem and what's going on in the Milwaukee Police Department is a lot bigger than a momentary budget cut of, of 10 spots. And, and here's, again, here's what this study says. It takes a look at what's been going on in the Milwaukee Police Department over the last several years. So it, it's not just a funding thing. It's cops who leave and aren't replaced. Here's what they say. The voluntary departures, which is resignations and retirements, 
are increasing force level losses beyond intended attrition rates. In 2022, the vacancy rate stands at 11.2%, more than six times the 2019 rate of 1.8%. So the number of vacancies, they've got 11%. Two years before, it was 1.8%. And in 1997, if you want to go back that far, the vacancy rate was 0.7%. So what's happening is police officers are leaving either being forced to, but mostly it's retirements, and they're not being replaced. And what's starting to go on and what's starting to happen is the police are are leaving the force at a dramatically greater rate than they can be replaced. So even if you wanted to hire enough police officers, you are still losing ground. Here's what this report says. The consequence is that MPD's ranks have been depleted over the past 25 years by almost 25%, or an actual reduction of 538 officers between a peak in 1997 and 2022. The number of budgeted positions has been reduced by 16%, while the city's population has fallen only 4%, During that period, so the number of officers per capita dropped from 350 per 100,000 residents in 1997 to 280 per 100,000 in 2022. And the projections show that the ranks are going to fall even farther. Let's cut through this. The bottom line of this is essentially that we cannot find, even if you could find the money to pay for the cops, You can't find people who want to do the job. And as we'll get into in just a little bit, but you look at the study, and one of the things that they are finding is officers who are nearing retirement, who could stay longer, as soon as they are eligible to go, boom, they they go. They're, They're pulling out in large, large numbers. And there's a lot of reasons for it, but I think a lot of it comes back to not just money. That, that's certainly a factor. But I think a lot of this comes back to the whole defund the police movement, the whole issues with the you know what went on in, in Minneapolis with George Floyd, the, the reaction that many people have in the community where they just flat don't trust police officers, don't want to interact police with police officers. Every time you see a police officer in a particular situation, Instead of helping out, you've got eight people who are pulling out their cell phones, taking videos, hoping that they're going to find something that is going to be fodder for a lawsuit or fodder for something that's going to be on the 6 o'clock news. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What do we need to do to get more cops on the street? 855-616-1620. Because I have to tell you, I don't know who in their right mind would want to be a police officer nowadays. We discuss in a moment. We are back. There we go. We're back broadcasting from our new digs at the Avenue downtown. I'm talking about this study from the Badger Institute that just came out today. And, and, and it's making a point, and it's documenting a point that we've talked about a, a lot. And, and that is that part of the reason you have such a problem with police staffing is that people, they don't want to be cops anymore. They cannot recruit cops fast enough. And what's happening is you have a number of police officers who are eligible to retire. And as soon as they are eligible to retire, they're gone. 
And so that's creating, again, this what they call this vacancy gap. So it's is it a problem that the mayor doesn't want to, you know, fund, you know, an extra 10 or 17 police officers? Yeah, that's a problem. But the bigger problem is they can't fill all the vacancies that they have, which right now are 11 percent, like one out of every 10 jobs essentially is not being filled at a time when you have record crime levels, which, of course, raises the question of, why you know why does anybody want to be a police officer nowadays jeff your spot here's one of our texts you're spot on my husband is a milwaukee police officer and he was planning on working 30 years now he and several of his colleagues will absolutely be retiring at 25 years of service 855-616-1620 let's start with joseph joseph you're on wtmj good afternoon Hi, I've been finding uh, the same problem in nearly all types of work. Uh, <clears throat> teachers, uh, <clears throat> clergy, interestingly enough, even the dairy farmers of the state, uh, you kind of run out of youthful enthusiasm about age 55, and some of them are quitting or selling out small business, too. I don't know what to tell you. I think we just have to look for enthusiastic young people, maybe some coming out of the military, which fit in extremely well in the police force. Well, I think, I mean, thanks to call, Joseph, I, I think, I mean, here, I, I think it goes be, beyond that. I, I think what, what's happening is that as a profession, um, it, it's less and less attractive. It always used to be that you had a lot of people that, that wanted to be cops. They, they just they, that was one of the things that they were excited about as, as being police officers. But nowadays, because of the natural stress, it's a very, very difficult job to begin with. You put your life on the line. Let's face it, for most of us, you know, we, we have jobs of varying degrees of stress, but the reality is, you know, I, I'm not walking up to a, a car at three o'clock in the morning and, and trying to give somebody a ticket where that person might have a gun. There is that incredible amount of stress that goes on. But now I think one of the things that happened is that there is a lot of disrespect out there for police officers. And the result of this is a lot of officers who are in the department, and, and the numbers are what the numbers are, this massive exodus towards the door, because I think a lot of people are just of the position that, that, that it's not worth it, that there's other things that they can do. And I appreciate what you're saying, Joseph, is, you know, it, it would be great for military. That was always, I think, one of the avenues that you'd have a lot of people that were in the military, and then they would come out and they would naturally gravitate towards the law enforcement situation. But now, not so much. Jeff, this isn't surprising. Police do all the heavy lifting, even risking their lives, only to see criminals out on the street over and over again. I, I think, you know, that's, that is a, a good position, and it, I think it's one of the realities of what you see here. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Who wants to have a job when you're not backed by a community who needs you or by officials who are supposedly um, trying to be creating a safer city? I, I think that's one of the factors, too. I think if you're going to talk to a lot of police officers, they will tell you that they do not believe that the powers that be have their back. They believe that there's a lot of people in the structures of government or whatever who align more closely with some of the loud voices in the community who view the police as as an occupying force or whatever. Let's talk to Jason. Jason, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. 
Good afternoon. How are you? Good. What do you think? Well, I've got a kind of a unique perspective. Um, my dad was a police officer and detective and retired from that. And my son is currently a college senior uh, studying criminal justice. And he's going to be a police officer probably next year at some point. Right. As a kid, I, I remember my dad would be, like, stressed out from various things. And as I got older, uh, I learned that there had been threats against him and his family and other things from criminals that he had put away. And I had been under, like, police protection without being aware of it. Sure. Um, so that came out when I was older. So my son now wants to follow in my dad's footsteps, and he's studying to be a police officer. And he wants to serve. Right. So I think where you get is you need those people who are willing to serve their communities. And that service mentality is the part that I think is a key element. Yeah. Uh, my dad, his religion and faith helped keep him through all the difficult stuff. And my son is fairly grounded with a, a good, solid faith. And I think you kind of need something that can anchor you to that moral, yeah. right, wrong, servant attitude no, I, in I, some I, way to get you to go out and do that kind of job. No, well, th- thanks for the call. I appreciate it. I don't disagree. Um, and, and you must be—you've you, got to be extremely, I would imagine, proud of— proud of your, uh, I mean, son, for what he's choosing to do. Unfortunately, we need more people like your son. Here's a text. Jeff, I can't say what I do, but 30 MPD officers with less than eight years have left the force this year to go to other smaller jurisdictions. I I believe that text. I believe those numbers. You have a lot of people who, who come, maybe they get a couple of years of experience or whatever, and then they decide, you know what, we've got this epidemic of crime that's going on in the city of Milwaukee. We've got all these shootings, including people who are willing to shoot at police officers on a regular basis. We've got the high-speed chases. And, and yes, you can find crime in every every community. But as one of these other studies from the Badger Institute demonstrates, it, it's, it's really a tale of two Wisconsins. It, it's what's going on in southeastern Wisconsin in general and Milwaukee in particular, and then there's the rest of the state. And I can easily understand that. If you can make as much money, let's say you are one of those people, like Jason was talking about, who are called to serve and view police being a police officer in that context. You, if you can, you can make a lot more money or even as much money, but not have to put up with what you have to put up with in urban policing. Is it any surprise that going to work for the Grafton Police Department or the West Bend Sheriff's Department or or fill in or the Washington County Sheriff's Department or the West Bend Police Department or whatever, that that's an attractive alternative? I'm just saying this is it is a train that is hemming head on at the city of Milwaukee. And the challenge is, how are we going to find police officers moving forward? And part of the answer is pay. There's no question about that. But a bigger issue is, I think you need to make it more attractive to people, which means all these defund the police types need to be shouted down. We don't need to defund the police. We need to encourage the police. Period. I'm going to give this text to the last word on our conversation. Jeff, my wife has three years until she can retire as an MPD detective with no plans on staying a day longer. There's a sense in the department that no one in the command staff or community support them. As a police officer, a certain type of lifestyle sacrifice is needed and people just aren't willing to do it anymore. Yep. 
and that's with the hard number show. And that's the real problem that's out there. And until you get a sea change in the attitudes that people have towards the police, and until some of the people in power stop their war on police and stop viewing police as the enemy on a daily basis— These problems are going to continue, and it's why you see car thefts that aren't being cleared. It's why you see hit-and-runs that aren't being cleared. The number of detectives in the Milwaukee Police Department is down dramatically. If, If you have 50 fewer detectives, what do you think is going to happen? Why don't you think more cases are getting cleared or solved? It's because there's not the people to work them, and that's the biggest problem. When we come back... We now know how much the plan to buy votes is going to cost. Stick around. Hey, Wisconsin, the leaves are changing colors, and you know what that means. It's time for the Jeff Wagner Home Improvement Showcase, presented by Great Midwest Bank. This week, we are featuring Poblocki Paving, 100% employee-owned. You can request a quote from them by calling their number, 414-476-9130, or visiting their website at publockypaving.com. It's the Jeff Wagner Home Improvement Showcase on Wisconsin's radio station, 620 WTMJ. Okay, I've been making this point, and I I understand I sound like somewhat like a broken record, but it's a point that needs to be made. The loss of wealth in the stock market over the course of well, the, the, the Joe Biden term in general, but particularly like the last year, has been absolutely staggering. And I understand that there's some people who say, oh, it's just paper money. It doesn't really matter. Well, those are people that I guess aren't in retirement or aren't close to retirement or aren't planning retirement because when your nest egg, regardless of whether it's a small nest egg or a large nest egg, when it disappears, it's reduced by 20 percent or more, it has a huge impact. Well, the stock market has been relentlessly down, 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 down. Everything is bad, and I understand there's global issues, but part of the problem is the out-of-control inflation in this country um, that's gone on, and I believe that's been fostered by a lot of bad government decisions, one of which we're about to talk about, which, again, fuels into the inflation. But, okay, so this relentless downward turn, and like I say, if when you when you get your 401k statements or your quarterly IRA statements that are going to be coming out at the end of you probably you'll get them next week because September 30th is the end of the quarter. I mean my get my advice is you know what whatever it is that calms your nerves whether it's a good glass of bourbon or a glass of wine or your dog or cat on your lap you you want to have that with you when you open up the statement because it is going to be incredibly ugly. Now today. You know, this this morning, uh, you look at I was looking at like the stock market futures, and it looked like after weeks, days and days and weeks and weeks of relentless losing, it looked like maybe finally things were starting to stabilize. Earlier today, I think the Dow Jones Industrials was up about were up about two hundred and thirty to three hundred points. The Nasdaq was up a couple hundred. It was like, okay, you know, maybe maybe this is something that maybe investors have finally said we're close to a bottom. Well, as it turns out, that those early returns are more like, oh, what I would call a deflated football bounce. In other words, if you take a deflated football and you drop it from a high enough building, you're going to get a slight bounce when it hits. And then, of course, it's going to end up going nowhere. Well, that's exactly what's happened at the stock market. Despite opening up a couple hundred points, 
Dow Jones Industrials now down 270 points today. So that's probably a swing of, again, in, in the neighborhood of 500 points from a couple hundred points up to down. The NASDAQ is down proportionately. To give you a perspective on the amount of, of money that has been lost, um, a year ago, okay, 52 weeks ago, the Dow Jones Industrials was at 36,952. 36,952. It has now dropped below 29,000, 28,978. So, you know, you've seen, oh, about a drop of, oh, you know, going on, you know, 8,000 points, about 25% of value. And for people who say, well, it doesn't really matter, you shouldn't be concerned about this, well, okay, talk to anybody who is in retirement living on their nest egg who I understand you get bear markets and you get declines, but I don't think anybody saw this coming as hard and as fast as it did. And I firmly believe that a lot of this is because of a lot of really bad government policy, which has fueled the out-of-control inflation, which is impacting on so many different things. But if you're following the Dow Jones again today and you woke up and you say, hey, the futures, it looks like it's going to be up a little bit. Nope relentlessly down day after day after day, and we don't know where the bottom comes. All right. One of the things that I think has fueled the inflationary crisis, which is one of the things that's driving the stock market down and down and down, has been the the government spending and just we're going to print money and print money and print money. For example, if you look where inflation really first started to, to go up, it was in April of 2000. 21, after we had the third round of pandemic stimulus. And this is after, I think, most people were back at work. They're they're really, I think, to the extent that there was a pandemic or crisis, we were past that. You had the vaccinations and all. But what the government wanted to do is we're just going to print more money, and we're going to print more money, and we're going to give it to people, and we're not going to require them to pay their student loans, and we're going to continue a rent moratorium and all these different things. So people just started spending this, quote-unquote, free money that the government was printing, and you saw prices start to rise. That's where the first big rate increase was. And I think, again, there's I appreciate that there's international factors going on, but you have, I mean, government spending. And if you don't think government spending has had an impact on inflation, well, you need to take some economic classes, which brings us to the latest example of Joe Biden trying to, number one, buy votes, and number two, trying to print money. The Congressional Budget Office, and that generally that the CBO is looked at as sort of a nonpartisan institution who is tasked with coming up with the costs of different programs. Well, okay, when Joe Biden came out with this idea of, here, we're going to like give everybody who makes less than $125,000 or married couples who make less than $250,000, we're going to let them, we're going to take government money and we're going to use the government printing presses to pay off $10,000 in student loans. All right, the the Democrats in Congress, they didn't even ask the CBO how much this was going to cost. And they just simply said, let's let's just do it. Well, let Joe do it. So he puts through this order. Well, the Republicans said, no, we, we want an estimate from the CBO, and those numbers are in. They estimate that for, okay, first of all, putting a moratorium on student loan repayments and continuing it through the end of the year, because, you know, people haven't had to make a dime, pay a dime on their student loans for about two-plus years now. 
Continuing that is going to cost us taxpayers $20 billion. But, but it gets better. The cost of canceling up to $10,000 in debt is going to be in the neighborhood of 400 B as in billion dollars. So you, you take the cost, the $20 billion, for the moratorium, saying to people, well, the pandemic is over, but we're still not going to make you make student loan payments at least till the end of the year. That's $20 billion. Then you add the other cost, $400 billion, and you are looking at an astronomical amount of money. There are independent analysts which say that it's actually going to be a lot more than that, maybe like $150 billion more. But here at a time of high inflation, at a time when people's nest eggs are are disappearing in huge amounts, the president of the United States wants to print more money so that people who make $125,000 or a quarter million dollars, they get $10,000 or up to $20,000 in student loan relief. And let's understand, he's doing this because he thinks it's going to buy votes in early November and that the people who see their student loans somehow, hey, I just got a free free $20,000. Let's go, you know, vote for everybody that, that Joe supports. All right, he thinks it's going to work. I question it. But even more importantly, when you look at what is going on in the economy, when you look at what's been happening and the disappearance of wealth, in part because of the reckless government spending, to pile another $420 billion in spending on top of that, I think is borderline immoral. To expect people on fixed incomes or nearing retirements to subsidize the college loans, and nobody held a gun to anybody's head and made them take out loans, to subsidize the college loans of people who are now making one hundred fifty dollars or $200,000 or $250,000 a year, again, I think it's nothing short of immoral. 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss. Eight five five six one six one six one. Jeff, the markets are really hurting those of us with kids currently in college, trying to pay for it with our five twenty nine accounts. Well, that's that's because you're you're a sucker. What you should do is just take out the big student loans and hope that uh, Joe Biden is going to come in and bail it out. Jeff, there's no way on God's green earth that student loan debt should be forgiven. The middle class working man gets hosed again. Um, yes, Jeff, student loan forgiveness plan infuriates me. I paid my way through college and law school with scholarships and loans. I paid them in full. Now I'm paying for my daughter's college education so that she will graduate loan free. Where is my $10,000? People need to be responsible for what they agreed to when they were loaned the money from school. Jeff, reckless spending will never end because people have become lazy and dependent on the government. Um, well, I think that there is an element of... Of that. Jeff, in addition to the Dow being down 6,000 points, this is the equation. Every thousand points equals a trillion dollars. This much money has been taken out of this, thus much money of how Biden threw into the economy by spending has come out of the market, thus placing in debt not just the government, but people's personal wealth. I'm down quite a bit in my retirement count. Jeff, it's obvious for votes, it's immoral. There's not a darn thing we can do about it until we can 
and then again get rid of the politicians and replace them with honest people, we're going to be getting the shaft. Well, there there is this element about it. Yes, it is immoral what is going on. And don't tell me that this government spending isn't a contributing factor. I didn't say it was the only reason why you have inflation at these huge levels, but it is clearly a factor. The inflationary spiral started after that third stimulus payment, and it has continued as the government printing presses just roll over and over and over. John on the north side. John, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Yeah, good afternoon, Jeff. Congratulations on your new home there. Well, thank you. It's quite nice. And, yeah, I I, I just, you know, I I don't, you know, I hear you guys. I, I don't think it's right for people to not pay their school loans. But I also, you know, need you guys to talk more about who's paying for the war over there. You know, Ukraine. I mean, I mean, where's that money coming from? I mean, who's going to pay that? I, I don't understand it. We know we fight against one thing, but yet we give money away uh, for people to kill people. I, I, I got a real problem with that. Well, John, thanks for calling. I mean, you say we, we give money away. Well, the, we have we have a national defense. We have national defense, and we are part of a global economy. And, and candidly, as much as what what happens in the world affects the United States, I, I don't. I've never believed that we can be this complete isolationist. And if we hadn't honored our obligations, our treaty obligations with with NATO, and said we're going to stand with NATO and we're going to prevent unchecked Russian aggression, I, I think the world would be in a lot worse place than it is now. So, I mean, I guess we can argue about whether that's wise spending or not. And clearly, we all wish that Vladimir Putin had not invaded the Ukraine. But the bottom line of this is that I, I think it was, I, I think it was uh, that, to me, it's apples and, and oranges. The question becomes, why do we take taxpayer money? Why do we take taxpayer money from a retiree or someone living on their fixed income or somebody who is close to retirement or that middle-class family who never went to, to college or who went to college and, and paid for their student loans? Why do we expect them to pay for somebody, like I say, a husband and wife who, I don't know, have degrees, Ivy League degrees and are making a quarter million dollars or less? Why, why would we? Why do we think in what rational world do we think that it's reasonable to have to pay for their student loans? And now, now we know what the cost is, $420 billion, and that government printing press just keeps running and running. Jeff, thanks to Biden, I can't retire next year. My 401k is in the toilet. Thanks, Joe. Now I have to work until at least 73 years old. How about giving me $10,000 for working my tail off for more than 50 years now. Well, I think that there is an element of this. Jeff, when I hear this kind of stuff, it honestly makes me wonder if they're trying to sabotage our government and bankrupt our our country. Well, I I don't know that that's... I don't know that it's trying to sabotage the the country, but it's certainly having the effect of bankrupting the, the country when you have this ridiculous type of spending because we, we want to pander to a certain community. We want to try to buy votes in a certain classification, and we think that this is going to help us. Well, where is that money coming from? And again, the, the thing that I think is so interesting is that you know Biden did this without any idea as to how much this was going to cost. And, and this is the chickens coming home to roost. You can't just 
print money, spend money in an irresponsible fashion that you don't have, run up that credit card over and over again, and not anticipate that there's going to be consequences. And the consequences are what we are living at now, spiraling inflation. Okay, you know, I I know the Biden administration has been touting the fact that, well, gas prices, which hit over $5 a gallon, you know, now that a while they were down to like $3.30. Well, first of all, I'm not going to jump up and down and do handstands about gasoline prices at $3.30 or $3.40 a gallon. That's artificially high, but now they're back to 419. I've got a story we might get to later on. In Southern California, gasoline is almost $6 a gallon, almost $6 a gallon. Now, if you live in Southern California, in my opinion, you need to have your head examined, but you know, how much of this are we going to tolerate? Because a lot of this, again, I think is just completely unnecessary because of let, let's declare war on the fossil fuel manufacturers and let's let's tell the refineries that we want to put them out of business, but then let's yell at them when they don't uh, open up more refineries. Well, you can't have it both ways. Nope. What's going on now is a product of very, very bad, in my opinion, government decisions. And what you're starting to see now is how this is affecting people. Another 420 million dollars to give student loan, quote-unquote, relief to, in many cases, wealthy people. Just doesn't make any sense. Or maybe, if you look at it as a way to buy votes, maybe it makes a lot of sense. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at The Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the program. So, Alex, you got your first newscast under your belt. I did. I uh, officially am uh, a member of the Avenue now. Out- outstanding. It, one of the cool things about this is that, um, and we're working through some bugs, no real problem, but one <laughs> of the cool things is there's, for example, there's this, this thing in front of me that I don't know what it does, but I'm I'm really, really, really tempted to start pushing buttons. Is that the but, thing you were talking about to me during right, the... Uh, exactly. During the, I think at some point in time it's going to... It's going to deal with all these big computer screens, all these screens we have on the wall. But I'm not sure it's hooked up yet, but I, I'm just – part of me really wants to start pushing buttons. But inevitably, <laughs> that's where it, it always gets into trouble. Hop on over into the newsroom. We got uh, no audio on it yet, but we have all, – all the screens are working. So we've got a couple of different news feeds going in the, in the newsroom right now. See, I've done this as a topic before. There are two types of people in the world. There are the people that, that push the buttons and the people that, that don't. For, and, and for example, my <laughs> – my, my lovely wife knows just how much I love her, but she's she is a button pusher. My experience has been that if if something isn't working, after you've pushed the button once, if that doesn't make it work, pushing the button multiple times more doesn't make it better. And But there's the other type of – we were in Florida about a year ago, and we we're with a couple friends, and my wife has one of these eye watches, and, and it, it, it wasn't – there was something small that was going wrong with it. But she and her friend Patty, I, I hear them, they're, they're like like pushing the button over and over again. And <laughs> it's not fixing what's wrong, but somehow they've gotten into settings. And next thing I know, the thing's not in English anymore and the thing's like backwards <laughs> and stuff. And it's like, okay, it, it's sort of like when you, when you get those TV remotes and if you push it once, maybe you push it that second time. But after that, just pushing buttons doesn't doesn't make stuff better. Typically, you could always just try and press every single button at the same time and see if that see if that tries and then wonder what's going out. to happen. So actually, so I have I have there's 
I admit, I've been resisting the urge to push buttons on this thing just because everything's gone fine the first hour and it's, it's mm-hmm. every, we're on the air, my computer screens are up, it's all good, and I'm, I'm just afraid I'm going to hit that one button and all of a sudden everything's going to disappear. Well, if it's just yours at home, that's one thing if you're trying to figure it out and start to learn it. But here when the engineers are so clearly involved with everything else going on and getting our ESPN partners up and running, I think we got to wait to start pushing the buttons and uh, asking for help if well, something goes but, wrong. But on the flip side of it, you know, we have really, really good engineers, oh, yeah. and so they can they can figure out. All I have to do is say I push that button, and, and they'll they'll <laughs> they'll look at me like I, I get that look all the time. Why did you push that button, Jeff? But at least they'll be able to untrack. The problem is at home when when you push all those buttons and stuff. There's there's no way that you know normal people can figure it out. So next thing you know, you're at the Apple Store or you're wherever yeah. trying to get it done. So it, it's would you rather be frustrated at home with your mistake or embarrassed at work by it when you got to ask for help? That's what we're dealing with here. Oh, I've got no shame. I, 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 <laughs> Scotty, John, okay, I, you know, help me out here. You know, I, I have no, no problem at all. This and after. 25 years here, they all appreciate that. It's like, you know, it's just like, okay, no, I, I have no shame. Okay, I'm going to hold off on pushing the button, at least for the time being. What I'm not going to hold off on is, is what I want to talk about with you, you next, because it's becoming an interesting national story, and it really hit home. I was, uh, I went, I, I do not do most of the shopping in the house, thank you. I just, I don't have the patience for shopping. I don't like shopping or whatever, but I was in a neighborhood outside of the area where I live, and I had some time to kill before I had to be where I was going to be. So I knew I needed a couple things. So I went into, um, it was actually, I went into a drugstore, and I needed a couple things. Okay, I'll just kill some time. I've got 15 minutes. I'll pick this stuff up. So I go into the drugstore, and one of the things that that struck me is that, how many different items in the drugstore you could not access? In other words, they were locked up. You know, so there might have been, um, you know, one set of, I, I've seen this with razor blades, but all sorts of things. And, and some of it were like electronics. Some of it was expensive stuff. Some of it was little stuff. But I, I was stunned by how many of the different products that you would think that you would be able to go and just take one off the shelf and, and walk up to the cash register and pay for it, it that you couldn't do because it was all locked up. And I remember thinking, boy, you know, it's, I mean, I, I guess they're, they're doing it because they're concerned about theft. But candidly, it's kind of off-putting to me as a shopper because I, I just I want to run in. I want to pick up some things. And the, the idea of, okay, so I want razor blades. Razor blades are behind, you know, under this locked thing. I got to go track down some employee, get them to open it up to give me the razor blades. And it's, it, I admit, it deters me from wanting to, to shop there because I want this to be an easy experience. Well, I was thinking about that when I came across this story in the Wall Street Journal today. Best Buy, Home Depot, lock up goods to fight Theft. Here's the way the story starts. Shoppers are finding more empty space on store shelves, but not necessarily because the retailer is out of stock. In many cases, the items are locked away to prevent theft. And it it goes on to talk about how bad shoplifting has become. They estimate that the last year that we have numbers, 2019, um, they estimate that around 70 B as in billion dollars worth of products were stolen from retailers in 2019. 
and then theft surged after stores reopened following the pandemic, and and it hasn't slowed down. So as a result of this, what you're seeing is a lot of these stores, whether it's a a drugstore, whether it's a Best Buy, it's a Home Depot, they are locking up goods, and you're in a situation where if you want to buy it, what you want to do, you can't just go take that power drill, you know, off the shelf. What you have to do is you have to find somebody, they have to unlock it, they have, and then they have to end up giving it to you. The effect of this is it's ended up turning off a lot of people. Our number is 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, th- this phenomena that stores are now locking up the stuff, I guess it's a two-part discussion. Have you noticed it? And secondly, does that make you less likely to buy a particular product or to shop at a store where large numbers, amounts of items are are essentially under lock and key so you can't just pull them off the shelf? 855-616-1620. And let's make no mistake about it. What's going on here is this is because of theft. This is plain and simple because these, these stores are just getting hit so very, very hard with theft. There's a couple reasons for it. Part of it is this thing called eBay, where you know people will, will steal goods and then turn around and then they'll, they'll resell them. So you don't even need to have that, that truck that pulls into an alley, you know, that, that whole black market stuff. With, with the ease of access to the Internet and stuff, it's much, much easier to sell things that you've stolen. But it's fueling this. So are you less, have you noticed the phenomena, and, and how do you react when you're in stores and you find all the stuff that you normally used to be able to just take off the shelves, now it's like, i got to find the guy in the green vest or the orange vest or whatever, and he's got to open this up. 855-616-1620, we discuss. Well, if you've noticed this, you are not alone. Jeff, body washes and laundry soap at my corner Walgreens is locked up. It's frustrating. I can't just shop without asking a non-existent clerk. The worst store in our area, and they give the one that is Walmart, seems like the, I'm going to name it. They said the worst store in our area is the Capitol Drive Walmart, which is right across from where Radio City was. Seems like the whole inventory is locked. It's sad. Jeff, I needed some bare copper wire for an electrical project. I went to Menards. I found um, where it was supposed to be. There was a sign saying, see clerk at desk. I found the item, which was locked in a cabinet, and proceeded. they proceeded to then walk me to the checkout to pay for it. This is to buy some copper wire. Um, you know, it's just incredible. Jeff, I definitely agree that it's deterring people to buy products that they're headed, however. I think it's also more sad that the world has turned out like this. I feel bad for the stores. Well, I do as well. Jeff, I've noticed this at the grocery store. Allergy pills and lighter fluid are under lock and key. I don't like it, so I buy more than I need so I don't have to go through the hassle. I, I'll tell you what I've found myself doing in a couple occasions is I've, I, I, I buy more stuff online. You, that that's it. Okay, so you need you know you're going to need razor blades. So instead of just buying you know a pack of razor blades, you buy three or four packs of razor blades. If you if you got Amazon Prime, there's no charge to uh, there's no shipping charge for it. Jeff, it makes me so sad. The other day I saw my local Walgreens had four packs of Red Bull gate kept with a worker. Red Bull, four packs of Red Bull gate kept. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Have have you? seen this phenomena, and, and how do you end up, you know, dealing with this? Um, you know, a number of people are talking about how they've seen laundry soap 
which is, uh, you know, laundry soap, which is, uh, again, uh, including like the Tide Pods and stuff and things like that, which have been, you know, all locked up. And, and the effect is just very clear. Now, one of the things that's interesting is, according to the story in the Wall Street Journal, Best Buy is saying that, you know, after they make the decision to lock up an item, what they do is they then, you know, track sales. You know, what, what are the sales trends and, you know, what, what happens when we lock stuff up? But what they're typically finding is that it does discourage a lot of shoppers, including the shoppers who might be browsers. You know, you're, it, it's one thing if you go into a store and you're committed with, to the idea that, okay, I, I'm running in here for a specific purpose. I need X item. And what they're saying is that you might be more inclined, if you're there, you want to buy that that power drill, for for example, or, or that wrench set or whatever, and you're there specifically for that, you might be more inclined to track down the person, have them unlock it, give you the wrench set. Where it's really hurting the stores is, is the browsers. You know, the folks sometimes, I've told this story before, um, back, when, back when Target was not as expensive as it is now, I used to, I could kill, I could take 20 bucks and I could kill an hour wandering through Target, just looking for stuff. Oh, you know, here, here's a tire gauge or, or here's this or, or whatever. And, you know, it was just, it was just kind of a way to get out of my wife's hair. You know, I'm, I'm wandering around Target and I'm, I'm just looking at stuff and stuff that I really don't need, or at least I never thought that I needed, but, oh, this is it. I'm, I'm going to get a tire gauge, you know? And so you'd make those purchases. What they're finding is that this is killing that sort of casual browser. One of the areas where it's really hurting people is with the people that sell video games because video games are easily, easily stolen. And so now pretty much every video game that you see is under some form of lock and key. In addition, what they're doing is even if the video game isn't in the packaging, what they're doing is apparently they're not even letting the packaging out because people will steal the packaging. So they have like a a photocopied sheet of the package that's there. So you can't pick it up. You can't browse through it. You can't look at it and do, you know, those those types of things. Um, Jeff, the place that I work at was losing hundreds of dollars with a particular type of, of liquor, so they had to lock it up. Well, I'm, I'm sure, you know, that's, you, you just kind of wonder about, you know, for example, the liquor stores and stuff, what, what's the future of that going to be when you're used to walking around the, the aisles and, I don't know, grabbing a bottle of this or grabbing a bottle of that? The, the bottom line is it, it kind of all comes back to the notion of crime being completely and totally out of control and changing the way, you know, we shop. It's not fair to the store owners, number one. It's not fair. They're struggling enough, and now you have to take all these extreme steps to protect your inventory. Number two, I think it's not fair to consumers who are used to just being able to walk into a store and say, okay, I'm going to pull this off the shelf, and I'm going to end up looking at it. So none of this stuff is fair. It's not helping the businesses at all, but it is, in fact, the new reality. So if you're in a situation where you have noticed more and more stuff being locked up, and you're wondering whether it's just you, it's not. And part of it is all because almost $70 billion in shoplifting. And let's face it, we all understand why this is the case. But given all the other crime that's going on, you know, shoplifting, well, unless you're part of a large ring, for example, and unless you're shoplifting and trying to escape in a stolen car, chances of you having 
significant consequences are probably slim to none, and that's unfortunate. It's just the world we're living in now. Back with more in just a moment. Well, my friend Rose Gray from Fox World Travel must be elated today because, I I will be honest, having taken a number of trips, including uh, leaving the country a couple times for listener trips, um, both before and after COVID, coming out of of COVID, very, very, it's it's been very, very difficult and it's been very, very stressful. I mean, you you know, you have to have your vaccination cards, you have to, when we were in France, France really just opened up um, about a week or two before we got there. But everywhere you'd go, you'd have to have your vaccination cards and things like that. Your um, vaccination cards would be checked before you could get on on the airplanes. So it, it was something that you could do, but it was a it was a bit of a hassle. Canada has, for whatever reasons, blame those Canadians, been one of the last countries in the world that has continued to be incredibly COVID crazy. Um, when we took our, our, our listener cruise to Alaska a couple months ago, because the the ship started in in Seward, so you fly into Anchorage, and then you go down and you end up in uh, uh, in uh, Vancouver. And because you're docking in Canada, you had to go through all these different hoops that Canadian authorities had. You had to get this thing called a CAN pass, C-A-N, like the, it was a Canada pass. But you had to go on their website and you had to download your, your vaccination information. And then what you had to do is you had to list like when you were coming in and when you were leaving, et cetera, et cetera. Then you had to show it. It seems like countless times whenever you'd get off the boat, you'd have to show these things and stuff. And And this was candidly, well after the pandemic was over. Well, anyhow, for those of you who are traveling to Canada, it's and I remember saying, I was talking to some friends of mine who've done other trips and stuff, and Canada was, I think, the last real like holdout when it comes to these different requirements. Well, for those of you who are getting ready to go to Canada, which means if you're taking, well, it's pretty much time, the time for Alaska cruise is pretty much over. But the, the good news is starting October 1st, Canada is finally dropping all coronavirus entry and travel restrictions. This means if you're going to Canada, you will no longer be required to show proof of vaccination. You will no longer have to get tested. You will no longer have to submit health information through an official online site. No longer have to report symptoms, isolate or quarantine, or even wear a mask on planes or trains. Canada's taken a while to get to this point, but they're finally there. So if you're thinking about traveling anywhere in Canada, it's just gotten an awful lot easier. Okay, so Alex, I broke down this morning. I turned on the heat. <laughs> well, I, I, I got up mm-hmm. and I, about six o'clock in the morning, getting ready to do the show, do my show prep and stuff. And it was it was like 64 degrees mm-hmm. in, in the house. And it was like, okay, it's cold, you yeah. know, so I, I turned on the heat and I, I set it up to 70. It warmed up pretty quickly and then I lowered it again. But it's like, all right, I think summer's kind of over. So I am a, this is my first winter as a homeowner. So I'm, I'm really, really struggling with the heat and uh, what to do and what not to do. I cracked it on for a little while today until it got up to like 66 inside and then okay. I turned it back off because all the windows are closed. It's just going to keep that hot air in there while I'm gone during the day, and we'll see what it's like when I get home. <laughs> exactly. Well, that's And, and again, I mean, I, I understand there's some people who are like, oh, well, we, we don't turn it on. We'll never turn it on until it's October 15th, to which it's like, no, you turn it on. I'm, I'm like, you turn it on when it's it's chilly, yeah. you know, and then you turn it off. It's like it's like maybe 10 extra dollars to turn it on now versus a couple of weeks from now, and you're going to be more comfortable, so it's money well spent, well, no, I would that's say. that's exactly it. You, you reach a certain point in your life where it's like, okay, it's freezing in the house, and, and here I, <laughs> I, I've got to get 
get up and take a shower. I don't want to come out of the shower when it's like really, really cold. Oh, that's so that's the worst. So I, I, I broke down. So we turned the, I then said to my wife, I said, I, I turned the heat on and she said, I got something to tell you. She said, I did the other day too. You know, she said, <laughs> said I got up, it was cold. I just turned it on and then I, I turned it off again once it warmed up a little bit. Yeah, so. Unfortunately, you're right. I think that the summer has passed us by at this point the now summer officially. summer has passed us by and a hurricane heading for Southwest Florida. I mean, just go figure. When we come back... Are you sick of them already? I'll explain. We'll discuss. Welcome back. So very glad to have you with us. All right. I understand in launching into this next topic, I am somewhat... Well, figuratively speaking, shooting myself in the foot, or at least the, the industry that I work in, 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 in the foot. If you have turned on the radio or turned on the television or logged into the Internet and visited various websites over the course of, well, the, the last several months, you have been swamped with political advertising. And now— if you turn on the radio or you turn on the television or you go to a website, it, it is imp- I think it is virtually impossible to watch any show or to listen to any show and not hear one or more ads for some candidates. But most of the ads are, are against other candidates. And it's just it's going to get worse um, in the, the polling in Wisconsin. And I'm privy to a couple of the most recent polls show for example, Senator Ron Johnson leading Mandela Barnes, but extremely close. And the Evers-Tim Michaels race, essentially, I think the last polls really show it a, a dead heat. I mean, I'm talking about within a percentage point. So it is extremely close in both of those races. And here we are. What's the election? November 8th. This is September 28th. So you have, you know, four or five, you know, six six weeks or so left, five or six weeks left. And over the course of those five or six weeks, you know that the stakes are going to be ratcheted up. And if you think you're seeing a lot of advertising on television now, my guess is you're going to see even more if if that is possible. And as the Journal Sentinel alludes to in a story today, the the vast majority of the ads tend tend to be negative. I, I just and, and sometimes I just kind of watch these and I, I sort of shake my head. The the one that's running now against Tim Michaels, oh Tim Michaels, you don't want him running the state because the construction company that he worked for, it, it had lawsuits that were filed against him. You know, and anybody that's ever been in business just kind of laughs at laughs at this. The Michaels Corporation, for example, currently eight thousand employees scattered out, I think it's kind of a global company, but scattered out all over the country. You know, you have Apparently, over 22, the last 22 years, there have been a handful, like five lawsuits that have been filed by employees, all of which were, were settled. And, you know, we, we don't even know the underlying merit. I, I will tell you, sometimes there's merit to lawsuits. Other times, employees decide, well, they're, they're going to sue because they're not good employees. Don't know what the merits of these are. But it's so funny because there's five total lawsuits in 22 years only one of which was in the state of Wisconsin. And, you know, you talk to a lot of businesses that have a lot less than 8,000 employees, and you say, oh, they had five lawsuits. And they'll say, the owners say, oh, that's Monday. That's just, that, that's, that's what we typically find on a Monday. 
five lawsuits in 22 years is statistically absolutely nothing. But yet it's this, oh, Tim Michaels is this terrible guy. Would you want to have this this company that does this? Ron Johnson, I, I, I Ron Johnson's in favor of defunding the police, which you go, huh? Really? What's that talking about? Well, it's because Democrats over the years have had these huge, massive spending bills, which would have made inflation a lot worse than it already is now. And and there was like a sliver of police funding that was in there. Well, he voted against these bills. Well, he voted against the mass funding. But, you know, you don't pay attention to the details. And the other side, I guess, does it too. But those are the ones that I'm particularly familiar with. But anyhow, you have one ad after another. Most of it is negative. And it's just relentless. It has been relentless, and it's going to continue to be relentless. So I was—it was actually my wife. She came in yesterday and said, "I just—I I, just—I want it to stop." She said, I, "I'm almost—I almost hate to turn on the television. I hate to watch the news because it's just—it's one ad after another, and the ads are getting like crazier and crazier and crazier." Which you know, Tim Michaels—he kills dogs and eats them. I mean, that's what the next one is going to be. Our number, 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, I, I have I have no relief for you because this is the reality that we're going to be in for the next five or six weeks. And again, I as somebody who works, you know, for a radio station, you, you hear more, you hear lots of political ads on our radio station, and the people that run those ads, you know, pay pay money to, to run the ads. So, you know, it's good for the bottom line of the company I work for. It's good for pretty much every media company, anybody that sells advertising. It's good for them because there's all this money that's being spent. But from the perspective of the voters and consumers, I guess my question is, are you tired of the ads? 855-616-1620. What do you think? Are you ready for it to stop? And, and by the way, this isn't intended as a as, as necessarily a partisan thing. It's just like it, there's nothing but attack ads. Jeff, what I find ironic is that I will let my young children watch an educational program on YouTube geared for a young audience that talks about being kind and inclusive, and then three political commercials will cut in ruthlessly, the candidates ruthlessly attacking the each other. Even my young kids moan when these commercials end up coming on. Jeff, my son, who is autistic, is is usually pleasantly oblivious to things like this. He's been making comments about the ads, and he's right. They are constant, and they are annoying. Um, Yeah, I mean, I think that you've got this element there. Jeff, it's absolutely, I'm absolutely ready for them to stop. Can you imagine if two companies like Nike and Adidas had ads just attacking one another? Eventually, you just say enough to both sides and buy Reeboks. Well, you know, that that sort of happened years and years ago in Wisconsin when when Russ Feingold was running. It was a three-way Democratic primary. It was Jim Moody, who was a congressman, and I want to say Joe Chakota, and they were viewed as the the two front runners. and it just got into this mud-slinging match, and and Feingold, who can sling mud with the best of them, didn't have the money to really compete with that, so he sat on the side, and he ran these ads showing the two other two candidates like slinging mud against each other, and it, it actually cemented this image, which I don't believe was found in reality, about Russ Feingold being this nice guy. Um, Jeff, as a 47-year-old woman who's never had an abortion and doesn't believe that people running for certain elective offices have much to say over abortion, I am over the abortion attacks. Let's focus on what matters to an individual taxpayer. Jeff, I hear nothing saying I'm Tony Evers and I approve this or or Ron Johnson or whatever. No, here's the difference. If the ad is being run by the campaign, 
you will hear, I'm Tony Evers and I approve this message. I'm Ron Johnson and I approve this message. If the ad is being run by a third-party group, like during our last break, you had a third-party ad, that's, that's an independent expenditure. It is not connected to the campaign, and so it's not endorsed by the candidate, and that's why you won't hear that. That's why it's the independent ads that tend to be the the more you know vicious ads that you see on, on both sides. 855-616-1620. Let's start with Tom in Hartford. Tom, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Tom. Okay, let's try Scott in New Berlin. Scott, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Uh, good afternoon. Uh, yeah, I don't see this ever stopping. There is no incentive for it to stop. Mm-hmm. The media loves the money they get from yeah. these ads. The people who are sending the money love to give it to the politicians and these private groups so they can control the politicians. And the politicians love it because it keeps them in office. So all the powers that be are just soaking it and loving it. Um, and I, I appreciate your right down the middle entry into the topic there. <laughs> well, but be- it's brutal. I give instructions. I give instruction classes, and I start my YouTube video, and it has nothing to do with politics. And then, of course, there's a political ad. <laughs> yeah, right, and right. It, I, it is frustrating. But right. Well, let me ask you this. One, one of the things, and I, I don't, you, you have this problem with the Constitution. So I, I'm not saying that you could do this in this country. But, for example, in, in Great Britain, uh, elections are about five weeks. You know, they, that's, that's what the time that is set aside for campaigning is. You don't have these perpetual campaigns because, I, I mean, I don't know about you, but it seems like we've been seeing ads for the, the last six months or eight months, and next year is a presidential cycle, and my guess is we're going to start seeing ads in the early part of next year. But in Great Britain, it's five weeks, intense campaigning, but it's five weeks and it's done. Would you like to see something like that here? Um, we could actually absolutely do that and still be within the Constitution. The only thing that messes us up is saying that money is speech. Because you do have a right to free speech, but you don't have a right to have that amplified anywhere. You can talk on the soapbox. You can say whatever you want. The government can't shut you down. But most of these are private entities, so yeah. that can be stopped. Uh, really, it's the dark money. And until there's, you know, there have one side. The left has been trying to get rid of this dark money or at least reporting for dark money because, I mean, it's obvious. China, Japan, Africa, they can send all the money they want to these dark groups, and there's no reporting. Yeah, yeah. thanks thanks for call. Well, I mean, I, look, there, there's plenty of, of quote-unquote dark money on, on, on both sides. Matter of fact, what you're seeing is that in, for example, in the Wisconsin's governor's race, you're, you're going to have, I believe, by the time all is said and done, a lot more of the quote-unquote third-party money that, that's going to come. My guess is Tim Michaels will be outspent um, by quite a bit from the like the, the dark money group, probably not so much in the uh, U.S. Senate race. But but it is, it is, I think it's wearing on people. There's just no question about it. I mean, I, I'll, I'll be honest. Look, I, I make no bones about, you know, where my political allegiance is, but I, I sit there and I think, oh my God, if I have to see one more ad about abortion, at some point in time, you would think that the message has gotten across. You know, we did this as a topic last week. One out of every $3 spent by Democrats this year nationwide, and I'm sure that number is true in Wisconsin, is an attack ad based on abortion because Democrats don't want to talk about the economy and they don't want to talk about crime and they don't want to talk about education. I'm not, I'm not 
saying that in a dismissive fashion. I'm saying that they believe that that abortion is the issue that's going to overwhelm these other things, and they're going to be able to get enough people that are worked up that they're going to turn out the polls and they're going to vote abortion instead of voting the economy and things like that. Maybe it'll work, maybe it won't. But it's kind of like, oh my God, if I see one more abortion ad, it's like you want to end up screaming. 855-616-1620. Jeff in Fox Point. Jeff, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Jeff, thanks for letting me vent. Um, These commercials had me very annoyed, and I'm saying mean things about both sides now. Like for the Mandela Barnes ones where he's buying the pizza, I'm expecting like King Friday and Mr. Rogers puppets and trolleys to like be be in the background. (laughs) And then there's another one where um, this lady looks like someone should check the back of her neck for um, extraterrestrial mind-controlling leeches that are making her look all nuts. And um, it has me really just feeling like I'm going to be voting for the lesser of evils. Yeah. And, until, and until then, I'm, I really have been watching a lot less local news, a lot less sporting events, and I've been relying on stuff that doesn't have commercials um, and books and, and Blu-rays yeah. for entertainment. Well, Jeff, thanks for the call. It, it is, I mean, it's a turnoff. I mean, there's no question. I mean, if now we we have a very, very high voter rate, you know, and and that that's a good thing. But there's no question. I think I I think the ads there is a turnoff factor where particularly I'm not talking about the hardcore Republicans or the hardcore Democrats, but I think people, the the average kind of voters, I think they just get worn down by this. Jeff, the ads are out of control and I don't want to vote for anyone. All candidates are making this an election as a vote for the lesser evil campaign. I think they need to talk about themselves and what they are going to do for the state. And if that's not something they want to do, there needs to be debates. And I I appreciate that. But I, I will also give you the reality of this. The reality is the reason you see so many negative ads is because up to a point, negative ads work. I mean, you've seen, for example, Ron Johnson. Think what you want about Ron Johnson. Love him, hate him, whatever. Ron Johnson has been the subject of some of the most vicious attack ads over the course of certainly of this year, maybe even going back to last year. And there's just been millions and millions of dollars spent talking about you know, all, every, everything bad that you could think of or you want people to believe about Ron Johnson, which candidly isn't the Ron Johnson I know. But, but that's it. Why do they run those ads? Because those ads work. That, that, that's it. Why do you know why is the the Johnson supporters why are they running ads about Mandela Barnes and his soft on crime positions and things like that because it it ends up it, it works so in, in many respects what's the old pogo line you know we have seen the enemy and he is us well, well that's it we complain about the negative ads oh we're we're just worn down by this but the truth is it works that that's why people do it and it, it's I think it's going to get worse before it ends up getting better. Is it good for democracy? Probably not. Is there a way you can limit it? Well, probably not. But the, the bottom line is, I, I think a lot of people are just kind of of the the point and at the point where it's like you, you almost hate to turn on the TV because you, you're just so bombarded by the, this stuff. And again, for me, the... the Maybe for you it's the crime stuff. Maybe for you it's the education stuff. For me, it, it's like, like I say, it's kind of the abortion stuff. I, I think at some point in time, 
those ads have to reach a saturation point that everybody's like, okay, we we understand, you know, where the different candidates are on the issue of abortion, and then you got to figure out what the next thing to to move the needle on, and that it only makes me wonder. I mean, given some of these ads and some of the things that some of the candidates have been accused of doing, I, I seriously do wonder, you know, what's the next step? What's the next shoe that's going to drop? And isn't it no, what, November 8th? Isn't it November 8th yet? But we got a long way to go before that. One of our texters says, here's how I'm dealing with this. I'm going to Nepal. I've got a trip to Nepal that's going to be three and a half weeks, and I'll be back right before the election. So I'm going to miss a lot of this stuff. Well, most of us most of us can't go to Nepal. Jeff, I think there should be a five-week rule that controls the time when ads can run. We record TV shows now so we don't have to watch the ads. Well, right, that's 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 fine, again, as, as far as it goes, but if you watch the news or if you watch football games or you watch baseball games or you turn on the Internet, you just you can't avoid it. It is... It, it's kind of the—it's always been going on, but I think as more money has come into this, it's it just gotten worse and worse and worse. And I understand I'm saying that, and the radio station I work for benefits by the fact that candidates run ads on it. So I get it if you want to say I'm being hypocritical about it, but I do feel your pain. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at The Avenue, it's The Jeff Wagner Show. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. Okay, Alex Crow. I, I admit, I, I, this finally kind of put me over the edge. I think I have been relatively, actually extremely chill about all this stuff. Yeah. You know, we, we've, we've moved down here. I, I have embraced this. And I mean, I, I worked at Radio City for 24, 25 years. <laughs> yeah. so, I mean, I, I have embraced this and it, it's it's... It's been absolutely fine, and there's some different stuff, but I think that I have been, and matter of fact, our program director came in during the break, and I think it's, it's, it's fine. It's, there's a couple little minor things, but, mm-hmm. but it's, it's minor things. So I've yeah. embraced that. I've been chill about that. As I think you know, you know, we, we have a place in southwest Florida, which is kind of on the edge of where that hurricane is, is okay. heading. Um, but, I mean, they don't know what the track is and yeah. stuff like that, but I'm, 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 I've been chill about that. You know, okay, this, <laughs> we've had it for a couple of years, but this is the first time that there's been like a potential hurricane thing. I'm, I'm chill about that. You okay. know, it's, 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 it, it is what it is. Nothing you can do, you know, and just kind of, just, just kind of roll with it. So I, I think I've been, you know, pretty good about all these different things. I would say so. Well, this one just pushed me over the edge. <laughs> okay. I, I am a huge Jimmy Buffett fan. Oh, yeah, right? me too. I, right. Okay. So I stopped counting after seeing Buffett 80 concerts or so. I, I just stopped. But I, more, but, but I go back to the 70s. and Nice. Seeing, okay. So his his fall tour was supposed to kick off in Las Vegas ne- a week from Saturday night. Okay. And so my wife and I, um, my brother... And my um, one of my sisters in laws and brother in law, we're, we're going we're going to Vegas. So we made arrangements. We're we're flying out. I've got vacation scheduled. We're flying out like Thursday, coming cool. back Sunday. Going to see Buffett, MGM Grand. I've seen him there countless times. Been looking forward to this. We booked the tickets when we we made arrangements when the first went on sale. So my brother just sends me this text saying Buffett's postponed the fall tour. Mm. And so I'm I, and so yeah, he's apparently he's seventy five years old. So you know. You know, you don't buy ripe bananas, I guess, sometimes. And, and I suspect there's been some hard living over the years. But he apparently had a brief hospitalization, and on doctor's orders, he's canceling his entire fall tour. So, well, 
rescheduling it. I so. was going to say, I suppose you're postponing it, but then you'd have, to get, you'd have to get the whole new trip together well, right. and everything like that. March 4th. is So the, the tickets for our October 8th tickets will be March 4th. But but the bottom line is, you know, we're, we're already committed to like going. It's yeah. like that was going to be the kind of capstone on it. So I'm cool with the hurricane. I'm cool with the, the new digs and stuff yeah. like that. Everything's fine. I'm chill. But now I'm hacked off that the, this concert's been called off. I mean, you have every right to be. I was going to see him, uh, or I did, I did get to see him eventually at Alpine Valley this year, but right. the first show was rained out because of that nasty storm which rolled through right, uh, that, the area. Right, that they rescheduled My that, family yeah. and I all had uh, the shirts ready to go. We had our tailgating supplies ready. We're still able to see him. We had to sit through the rain the next time, but right. uh, it's yeah. been a rough go of it for the last few times, it I has. guess. So I guess it's one of those deals where I'm sitting there thinking, Okay, are we still going to go to Vegas? And my answer is, of course, we're going to go to Vegas. I mean, we have, you know, it's well, we have arrangements like a week from Thursday, we're going to go. We're going to see um, Cirque du Soleil, the Beatles' Love. I've seen that. That, That's I saw that a few years ago, so we're going to see that again, and we're going to do dinner on Friday night. Now I got to figure out what we're going to do on Saturday night because (laughs) I was supposed to go to a concert and stuff. And but it's like, okay, I I just I want to be rewarded for being like like a chill guy and just kind of rolling with the punches and stuff like that. Hey, the good news is you'll you'll find plenty of stuff to do in Las Vegas on a Saturday night. It is, and I acknowledge it is the ultimate first world problem. I get that. (laughs) I I appreciate that that you're upset that the um, you know the Jimmy Buffett show got got canceled, and um, hopefully. Hopefully he will be fine. But I mean, that, that's that is one of the things with some of these performers as they start to get up in age. You kind of wonder, okay, how how long how long do they tour? Is mm-hmm. there some point in time, whether it's health or whatever, where they just kind of say, "I've got enough money, I'll stay and enjoy my life." Yeah, yeah. You uh, you got to wonder. Hopefully it's not uh, that that's still a ways away for Buffett because he still puts on a heck of a show. It's still a lot of fun to go Put, see. Puts on put just puts on a a great great show and. So now this is just an excuse for me to reschedule going to Las Vegas in March. <laughs> now I guess. you get a That's trip to the, Vegas and hopefully another Jimmy Buffett concert in the future. That is it. So, but I'm I just I, I've been I've been chill. I'm still okay about all this. It's kind of like um um. So okay, I'm going to the Brewers game tonight. So hopefully they will build. Um, Hopefully they will. Uh, they'll, they'll beat St. Louis. If that we would be if a, we hear you a murmuring serenity now into the microphone, we'll know what's going on. Uh, yes. Oh, <laughs> one of our textures says, "Glad I saw him in concert at Alpine on August twentieth. Uh, turned out to be the last show of twenty twenty two. Yeah, it was fun. We got rained on a little bit, especially in the parking lot, but it was still a great show. Uh, yeah, it it is. I just, I just, I. I stopped going to Alpine. I mean, I've been going to Alpine Valley since there was an Alpine Valley, and I just, I kind of, I kind of. I've drawn the line about how hard it is to get in, how hard it is to get out, the, mm-hmm. when it rains, the just the mud pit and stuff. It's a function of age. But you're young, good. Enjoy the shows <laughs> at Alpine Valley, and I'll find my entertainment elsewhere. Okay, let us let us return to a variation of the topic we were discussing at the end of the two o'clock, at the end of the one o'clock hour. You know, we were talking about ads and negative ads and things like that. I want to flip the script for a minute because during the break, I, I was trying to think about this. What do you think is the best ad that you have seen for a Wisconsin political candidate this year? And I guess it could be a negative ad, but, you know, the, the, the ad that says, man, that, that's really a good ad. And, and again, it, it could be, I guess, it could be a negative ad. Oh, boy, that one really hits home, and that's really biting, and I, I just, I, I love that particular ad. Go for it. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What's the best ad that you have seen? And maybe, I guess, the corollary to that is you'd like to see perhaps more. As we've got another five or six weeks of political ads that are left. I will tell you, 
when I thought of that, the, the first ad that came to mind was was not an attack ad run by Ron Johnson, but instead it was a, a positive ad. And they, they ran it, it, it end of August is when I think it, it dropped. So I, I'm, I'm not sure it's in rotation now, but it was the ad that featured, um, it was narrated by his daughter, Carrie. You know, um, in 1983, Senator Johnson's daughter was born with a serious heart defect. Dedicated donors and nurses saved her life. Family became the most important thing in his life and still is. He's always enjoyed the simple things in life, you know, outdoors, fishing, hiking, camping, cross-country skiing, Packer and Badger games, rec league softball, playing guitar, and did I mention fishing? And then it goes through his records as a U.S. senator, et cetera, et cetera. And then, you know, it finishes up by she saying, I should know because I am that daughter and I've been watching my dad help others for 39 years. I thought that was a great ad. I, I just thought it was it was a great ad and might of, of the different ads that I've seen and there's 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 been good ones and, and there's some of the negative ads. I, I think even if I take off my sort of political blinders as to who, you know, I which candidates I'm I'm gonna vote for and support, I mean I, I think that there's been good effective ads. But that ad I remember Ron Johnson, when he first ran for office, um, first term, he had the chalkboard that was up there. Remember the, the the whiteboard? And it was there's this many lawyers that are in, you know, the Senate. And you know, this is the number of businessmen. I thought that was a great ad. I think the ad with his daughter was really, really good. All right. What do you think is the most effective ad that you have seen this election season, 855-616-1620. And like I say, it can be a negative ad. I mean, if if it if you think this is the ad that really moves the needle, that that's that's fine. I just when I think of a, a lot of the ads, and they all kind of like blur together to me, like all the, you know, the abortion ads, they just all sort of blur together. That the ad with Ron Johnson's daughter, I think it, it stands out to me just as an effective ad. 855-616-1620. What's the most effective ad you've seen? We discuss in just a moment. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, we spent a, a, a segment of the last hour talking about people's reactions to the negative ads. I just thought as a flip side, okay, your the ad that you have seen so far this year that you think has been particularly effective, and, and it doesn't – it can be a negative ad, but I, I think like for me when I – a lot of the, the ads, especially the negative ads, they kind of all blur together. Um, I think for me, the ad that stands out the most was an ad that the Johnson campaign dropped about a month ago with like pictures of him growing up and stuff. It was narrated by his 39 year old daughter. And I think it um, I think it, you know, to me, that was this sort of effective ad. Now, I understand why they're running the negative ads against Mandela Barnes and stuff. But at some point in time, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see the campaign move back to that. Jeff, I liked Alex Lazary's early ads. They told what he had done. Jeff, I like the Ron Johnson uh, ad narrated by his brother about the jobs he's had, how their big business began. He wasn't born into an affluent family, worked many different jobs. I think that ad is in contrast to, um, again, Mandela Barnes. Jeff, um, I don't know about effectiveness, but um, the the Johnson Add uh, about, um, let's see, they talk about one of the snarky anti-Johnson ads. I'm not sure which one they're referring to. Jeff, for me, it's the grandmother talking about um, 
the uh, the stance, Mandela Barnes' stance towards criminals, an early release with the Waukesha Christmas Massacre as the background to drive the point home. Um, yes, Jeff, for me, it's also the lady with the granddaughter who was injured in the Waukesha Parade, all the criminals getting released, the violence needs to stop. Um, yeah, I think you've got an element from that. Uh, Jeff, this is from Peter at River West. The best ad and the most enjoyable I have seen so far has been the, for only $1 million, you can join Ron Johnson and get all the credits that you need. Yeah, the ad that's kind of uh, going after his, his tax vote. I remember that. Um, Jeff, I didn't see the one you're referring to with his daughter. Many of the rest of the ads just make me go, ugh. Jeff, I think the radio job interview ads were very creative. That would be the woman who's saying, okay, Mandela Barnes, let's go through your resume. Um, that's it. Jeff, I like the Mandela Barn ad, Barnes ad with him making a peanut butter sandwich. I thought it was reminiscent of the first folksy fine gold ads. Jeff, I like the Evers ad that said he'll work with anyone, Republicans or Democrats, um, a lot on fixing our crappy roads. I wonder, that was that the one where he was in the pickup truck? That might have been. Jeff, I like the one with the job interview as well. So um, there is it. Jeff, I think the one of the best ads I saw was the one you're referring to, Ron Johnson, the ad where his daughter pretty much narrated it, and they were going through pictures of his life and everything. I thought that was kind of neat. My guess is what you're going to do is, is typically in campaigns, what happens is you— the negative ads at some point in time, and I don't know, this is kind of a different election year because the election is going to be very, very close. And as we said earlier, negative ads work. I would guess that at some point in time, at least maybe the last week of the election, you will see some of the, the ads turn to more of a of sort of a positive thing as you try to seal the deal. This is this is why I'm really not that awful person, and I don't eat dogs, and I don't hate children, and all these types of things. That the, like the other side says, I, I think typically you see a little bit of a positive turn towards the end, and I, I think you'll see ads. Kind of um, like that. Jeff, I like the Michaels ads. I, I think they're referring to some of the positive ones where he's talking about, you know, building the company and things like that. Jeff, I think the daughter wedding ad was great and shows a lot of integrity for Ron Johnson. Yeah, I think it was, I, again, and I, I just, for me, the negative ads, on, I'm talking about on both sides. I And I, at some point in time, you, you hammer home. Yes, I, I understand that abortion... Abortion is this issue for the people that are going to vote solely on abortion. Yeah, and, and then you've got the crime issue, and I think the points that the Michaels campaign and the Johnson campaign makes are very, very valid when it comes to their opponents and crime issues. I, I think at some point in time, you're going to have to find another wedge issue. I think we're going to hear more about education. I think we're going to hear more about the economy as well as we move closer. But I also think you're going to see a switch over to some positive ads as well. All right, when we come back— Hey, I need more sleep. And let me try to give you perspective from as a recovering attorney for the circus that is going on in the Waukesha courts now and why you couldn't be pay me enough to be one of the Waukesha County judges. Stick around. So very glad to have you with us. You know, as long as we talk about political issues and all, one of one of the issues in the governor's race is the fact that 
Tony Evers, who, who makes no bones about it. I mean, he, as a campaign pledge, said he wanted to reduce Wisconsin prison, prison's population by 50%. There's only two ways you can do that. First, you can let people who are in prison out. And secondly, you cannot send as many people to prison. It, that, that's, that's just how you reduce it by 50%. And I, I think Evers has been doing that. He's been doing that with the judges that he appointed who share this philosophy that they're less likely to want to put people in prison. And also, you've heard all the stories of a very aggressive parole commission. Matter of fact, you know, his choice as the head of the parole commission, he ended up having to fire him because of all this political heat, because of the nature and the types of some of the people that were being, you know, released. So one of the things that's been happening is Republicans in the legislature and a conservative website, Wisconsin Right Now, they'd filed open records requests with the Parole Commission because they wanted to get access to the full list of people that were paroled. And they pretty much been stonewalled. So, you know, there was a threat of a lawsuit and the development, and then the uh, Republicans of the legislature weren't able to get a response. And I think the only reasonable inference is because there's more names and more people who've been paroled, and the Evers administration doesn't want to release that because it's going to be embarrassing. The upshot of this lawsuit has been that in the threat of a lawsuit, the Parole Commission has apparently now said that they're going to make all the names and the the dates, et cetera, et cetera, of the people paroled, they're going to make that public. So we'll get a better idea as to who it was that was subject to being released on an elective basis. And my guess is that's going to be the basis for some more ads as well. Okay, you are really Debbie Downer. Now, I, I got, <laughs> I've got, I got tickets. I'm going to the baseball game tonight. My mm-hmm. wife and I, my friend Jenny, my buddy Evan. So you're telling me that, and, and normally I would come, I would, so I'd be going west on 94 to, and we have like a preferred parking thing. So we get kind of go past that stadium interchange and get off and, and come in from there. You are telling me that, 175 North is is probably going to be blocked off because there's a semi that hit a bridge. Yeah, so I'm pulling up the tweet right now that the sheriff's office sent out, and they said, caution advised on northbound 175. Right. There's a lane closure while deputies manage a crash. A semi-trailer struck the eastbound 94 overpass bridge at about 140 this afternoon. Now, Wisconsin DOT is on the scene. An inspector is examining that bridge and a full closure might be necessary later to move the big rig. So it's just stuck there under the bridge right now. Got to make sure if they move the big rig that that st- a bridge above it will not collapse. And uh, if everything seems to be okay structurally, then they can uh, move it out and it's going to take a full shutdown to get it out of there. Right around game time, probably. <laughs> okay. okay. All right. Yes. All right. Debbie Lazica's got her work cut out for her this well, afternoon. We'll okay, say for, that. Forget Debbie Lazica. <laughs> Jeff Wagner and his family are trying to get to the baseball game tonight. I mean, what about me? That's kind of the. All right. But at least now, I, I mean, wow. <laughs> been, it's been a busy, busy afternoon. Well, that's know, for sure. And, and it's always things like that. It, it seems to me we have more than our share of okay. Semis hit the hit the bridge because it's too big to get under the bridge. Or we, we went through this time where it seemed like every accident was in like a, a free a semi that was overturned, and it, it didn't have like boxes or something. It had like pig entrails and things <laughs> like that. So you just had this complete mess. Now, my producer Charlie's laughing. No, no, this is really it. We yeah. had these shutdowns. It was like okay, it, it's full of pig entrails or it's like laundry soap or whatever. So, 
Okay, so you're telling me for those of us who are going to the Brewers-Cardinals game tonight, we want to plan, figure out how we're going to be able to do this. Yeah, just try and avoid 175 into the stadium interchange, out of the stadium interchange. 175 is just a good good rule of thumb right now to avoid that area while the DOT and the sheriff's office and all of them are on the scene. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about alternative routes now. I'm not sure what there is, but I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about it at least. If only so. we had a, a, someone who was expertise was traffic and getting around that. So what you're telling me is like grab, if, grab Debbie and just say, <laughs> how am I supposed to get around? How are we okay. getting to the game? All right, I'm not shooting you. You are just, you are just <laughs> well, the messenger. You. I appreciate it. When we come back, you couldn't pay me enough money to be Waukesha County Circuit Judge Doro this week, next week, or for the next several weeks. I will explain why. Stick around. So, very glad to have you with us. All right. If you were listening to Alex Crow's uh, news broadcast, I, 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 I'm very, very, I'm, I'm critical of judges from time to time. I admit that. But you could not pay me enough to be Waukesha County Circuit Court Judge Jennifer Doro over the course of the next couple weeks. She is the judge who is presiding over the trial of Daryl Brooks Jr. Daryl Brooks Jr. is, of course, the psychopathic killer who alleged, he wouldn't want to say alleged, the alleged psychopathic killer who, you know, blew through the um, the barricades, drove through the Waukesha Christmas Parade last year, killed, what, half dozen people and injured dozens and dozens more. Um, Brooks, one of our texters said, he spent so much time in court he should get an honorary law degree. Brooks, who is, of course, indigent, which means the state of Wisconsin picks up the tab for providing his attorneys. Brooks has moved to fire his his lawyers. He wants to represent himself. And uh, on the one hand, you know, we all know the old adage that, you know, a person who represents himself has a fool for a client. And, and that, that's true. But but here's here's the issue. If you allow—apparently this hearing took like over an hour because Brooks is— is very, very combative. And, I mean, remember, we, we've had, like, in some of the, the preliminary hearings that they've had, he would refuse to come to court, and he would refuse to participate, and he would lash out at the judge. So he now wants to represent himself. Now, on the one hand, people might say, oh, this is great, it's going to be a walkover for the prosecution. But the truth of the matter is, this is what we would call a slow guilty plea anyways. I mean, he's, his guilt is not at issue. The problem is, if he represents himself, that um, he will—the antics that you will see from him are, are going to be just absolutely unbelievable. And, you know, there, there's no question in my mind that the judge—you know, you want to keep a rein on this. But here, here's the problem, is that when you have a defendant who wants to represent themselves, you have every right and, and have to require the defendant to, you know— adhere to the rules of evidence, et cetera, et cetera. The problem is that you don't want to go so far as to create what we call reversible error so that when he is convicted, as he inevitably will be, and then he gets a lawyer on appeal and the lawyer, you know, raises all these issues and says, well, he was denied his right to, you know, an effective trial because, you know, this was, you know, because he wasn't in a position to represent himself. There's no way in God's green earth that Daryl Brooks should represent himself in a courtroom. It's just... He doesn't know the rules of evidence. He's not trained as a lawyer. These are incredibly serious charges. It just shouldn't happen. The problem, though, is everybody has a right to do this. And so this is what the judge is wrestling with. Apparently, she gave him—she wouldn't allow this to go ahead tomorrow today because she is not convinced 
that he understands the full ramifications of representing yourself, right? Um, so she's apparently given him till like tomorrow to sign some sort of waiver. The problem is, even if he signs a waiver, that doesn't necessarily guarantee that the right of ineffective assistance counsel isn't going to come up. More importantly, if he's, if you got a lawyer, at some point in time, the, the lawyer who is bound by the rules of evidence is going to you know, follow the, those rules and will listen to the judge. When you have somebody like Brooks, who's, again, representing himself, you, you, the trial will quickly become a circus, um, no matter how good a job that the judge does in this case. I guess the, the problem is he gets a right to do that, no matter how stupid a decision it is. And you got to believe that part of this is a strategy he's cooked up to try to create a, as much discord as possible, because you know what's going to happen is during the trial, he will, in fact, act up during the trial. And I can easily see situations where they're going to have to, where they're going to take what would be a two or three week trial, and it turns out to be six or seven weeks because of the delays and things that he has ended up causing. And, you know, what happens if he acts up and then they have to send him out and he has to watch the proceedings, you know, from a jail cell on closed circuit TV. And how do you work that? It's just, it's a logistical nightmare for somebody who is, let's face it, just guilty as, you know, you know what. I think the, um, if I were the judge faced with a situation like this, I wouldn't let the attorneys withdraw. I think what I would do is I would say, okay, here's the deal. Um, if you want to represent yourself, that that's fine. And if you sign all these waivers and I'm convinced that you know what you're doing, <clears throat> but also I, I'm going to continue to have the, the attorneys they are going to be like of, of counsel, and they're going to be sitting at counsel table so they can advise you on procedures and things like that. So I, I think that's kind of how I would handle this. But this this trial, which really on the facts should be open and shut, is shaping up to be just a complete and total nightmare. And from the perspective of, of the prosecutors who didn't object to him representing himself, again, it's a really—it's a fine line you walk— because, yeah, he's represent—first of all, like I say, this is a slow guilty plea. His guilt is not at issue, in my opinion. I mean, I think the guilt—evidence of guilt is just absolutely overwhelming. So now it's this fine line because you want to present your case, you want to try your case. At the same time, you want to also preserve what we would call preserve the record on appeal because the last thing you want to do is have to do this thing over again— um, in a month or two. I think the one thing that the judge is very adamant about is that she's not going to grant any delays. This trial is supposed to start, what is it, next week. They have made, in picking a jury, which is an, you know, a, a difficult process in and of itself, one of the things they did is they, they took this practice that is somewhat unusual for state courts, that they sent out questionnaires to potential jurors last spring, I believe, to, you know, kind of winnow down the potential jury pool to make sure that you can find people, not who haven't heard about the case, because pretty much everybody's heard about the case, but people who believe or at least indicate they can be open-minded. It's just, um, the, the thing that's really annoying about this is I get the sense that Daryl Brooks is gaming the system. That's typically why defendants do stuff like this, because it's a way they have of gaming the system and, uh, again, creating as much 
chaos as they possibly can. And I, again, I, this is, it's going to be a challenge for the court staff. It's going to be a challenge for the prosecution. And it's particularly going to be a challenge for the judge. It's, it's really, it's not in Daryl Brooks's interest to go into court and represent himself. That, that's just a, a disastrous sort of choice. But if it's the choice you make, it's the choice you make. But uh, like I say, couldn't pay me enough to be Judge Doro in this particular situation because it's going to be, if it, it would have been a circus under any circumstances, now it's definitely a three-ring circus. So very glad to have you with us. Winding down the first show at our new digs, the Avenue, everything going according to Hoyle, which is great. All right. Well, I'm glad to see President Biden is turning his attention to significant things. You've got the war in Ukraine. You've got gas prices that are once again through the roof. Again, I saw Southern California. it's, It's almost six bucks a gallon. Almost six bucks a gallon. Can you imagine that? Um, you've got inflation. You've got the stock market that's been just this incredible, you know, loss of wealth, trillions and trillions of dollars. But I see the president. He's, he's concerned with something, with important things. Biden, this is the Washington Post, wants the full cost of flights to be clearer for U.S. travelers. President Biden announced a proposal Monday that would require airlines and ticket sale websites to disclose additional fees up front, aiming to add a dose of transparency to the process of booking travel. The disclosures would cover any fees for passengers to sit with their children, change or cancel flight, bring checked on or carry on bags. According to the Department of Transportation, the fees would be required to be displayed the first time a ticket price is shown. You should know the full cost of your ticket right when you're comparison shopping. Okay, well, I guess at some point in time, I guess my response would be before you buy that ticket, you you see the the price. And there, there's various like add-ons. So you look at what the price of the airfare is. And then, I don't know, like Southwest Airlines asks you if you want to spend, you know, the 25 bucks to upgrade to their early bird thing. And if you go to Delta, you know, that they say, okay, well, there's this charge for, you know, bags, et cetera, et cetera. But at the end of, of the day, once you go through that process and you answer the questions about what the add-ons you want, and then they add on the tax or the fees or whatever, before, before you hit that button that says buy, you, you get – you get a number that tells you, you know, how much you're, you're supposed to pay. It's not like, you know, you're, you're suddenly surprised. You hit the button, you say, I'm buying it, and then you find out that there's all these other fees and it's $50 more. Now, I guess, you know, from a consumer standpoint, I'm not exactly sure how you do it, but oh, okay, let, let's work that out so it's disclosed in a more prominent fashion. But at the end of the day, before you buy the ticket, before you punch that button, you know how much it is that you are spending. So I don't exactly know how they're going to work this out, but I, I do know that I'm glad President Biden is spending his time paying attention to really, really, really significant stuff instead of, well, let's worry about you know how airlines display how much the bottom line is going to be and how soon they do when you're booking online as opposed to dealing with, gee, the stock market's down another 100 points today and we've lost trillions of dollars of wealth and gas prices are through the roof. But if you're buying an airplane ticket, you'll find out what the total cost is a little bit sooner. Your government at work. 